just to make sure you're up to speed on, on where we're at, at least within uh, chapter 4. Last week, I, I told you that the theme of chapter 4 is opposition. That's what we've been seeing throughout this chapter as the enemy and enemies have come to attack. And, and, and we saw last week how they had Jerusalem surrounded. They were coming from every side, north, south, east, west. And, and not only that, but they were escalating their attacks both in numbers and in severity. So there were, there were new people joining the group and, and they were just, just uh, ratcheting up the severity of the attacks from laughing and mocking and trying to discourage to now, in, by the time we get to Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 11, their stated goal was to slay the Jews so that the work would cease. So they had a stated goal, and, and, and it wasn't a good one. And that teaches us some things about the enemy's attacks. And we've looked at some of those. But, but for one, I, I didn't even mention this last week, but I'll just tell you this morning. It, it teaches us that the enemy isn't attacking us because we're special. He's attacking us because we're involved in a special work. Or as Craig said, a, a worthy work. And because that's what Nehemiah 4.11 says, so that the work would cease. That was the ultimate goal. Now, if you're not participating in that work, then you have to know that the enemy has no reason to attack you. If you aren't building for the Lord and to the Lord's glory, then why would he waste his time and energy on you? He won't. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean everything in your life will be great and that everything will go smooth. It's just that the trials won't necessarily be the result of spiritual persecution because of how you're serving the Lord. They'll just be the result of a sin-stained world and, and your own choices. So the opposition was surrounding the Jews and they were planning their attack and, and God got word back to Nehemiah that the opposition was coming. And God provided them the information that they needed and based on that information from the Lord, Nehemiah made some plans and he encouraged the people with that voice of assurance that we talked about last week. And because of it, because they got word, the Lord got them word that they needed, the enemies backed away for a moment, for a time being. We'll see that this doesn't stop them but as we move on through the book. But they back away for a time. We saw that in Nehemiah 4.15. It says, And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, and God had brought their counsel to naught, that we returned all of us to the wall, every one unto his work. And listen, that, I mean, that is just a work of the Lord. It's what he does, certainly what he is able to do, and, and what he's able to do to, for you as well. At least when you're living your life in service on the wall. Psalm 33 verses 10 and 11 says, The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. It's exactly what Nehemiah 4.15 said. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever and the thoughts of his heart to all generation. What a great promise that we have in Scripture. Now, certainly that promise applied to the Jews, but we have that promise that if we're serving the Lord, that man, we have ultimately everything that we need from him. And that he is certainly able to bring our enemies counsel to nod and if he chooses not to well man we're at least still protected within his will so the Jews returned to the wall and they went back to work and 
And, and like we talked about last week, this is the part of this battling while building. And I, you know, I told you it would be easier if, if we could just do one. But unfortunately, we're not usually afforded that luxury. What we find is spiritual warfare happening all around us and towards us all the time in the midst of, of, of trying to, to do something in service to the Lord for His glory. And so we're building while we're battling. And, and, and as we saw last week, and I think this is on your outline sheet, that process of building while battling sometimes has its ups and downs. You know, I, I've, I've mentioned before, the way we present things sometimes and, and the goal and you know, the perfect scenario is that our Christian walk is linear and it's just a, a, a path of growth. I think we all know that that's not reality most of the times. We, we take a couple steps forward and a few steps back and it's up and down. We saw that Judah was discouraged. The people were frightened because of the enemy's plan. And so for a while they stepped away. But they returned and they got back up. And that's what is important. That's what Proverbs 24, 16 tells us to do. It says, for a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. But the wicked shall fall into mischief. So listen, praise the Lord, man. God is patient with us. He's patient with us in our ups and our downs. He's there for us, ready for us to get back up. But that's what we have to do. It's up to us to get ourselves back up. And we can't lose sight of the fact that there is a job to do. And all of us, we all have a part. And so that's what we're going to see more of today. How can you be successful when you're trying to build, but at the same time, you have to battle? Where is the balance in all of it? Because the fact is, you can't just lay down, or at least you shouldn't. The enemy's not going to stop. The wall's not going to build itself. So how do you manage it all? And you're working and warring, building and battling. And how you manage it comes down to how you prioritize. And what we're going to see in our text this morning are three priorities that are essential if you want to be a Nehemiah and if you want to build for his glory. Because in these verses, in verses 16 through 23, we see the plan that Nehemiah develops and employs for success in the mission, which they ultimately achieve. And there are three priorities that are found within that plan. So I've titled this message, Priorities, Priorities, Priorities. Because there are three of them, and they are all vitally important. You know, I've always heard that the key to real estate is location, location, location. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I've heard. So that's kind of like this, just for over eternal things. And these are priorities that, that we all need to have in place. Or we're not going to be successful in what God is calling us to do. So this morning is a call to evaluate your priorities. And to evaluate how you are attacking the work while fighting the war. So let's look at it together, Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 16 through 23. The Bible says, and it came to pass from that time forth, from the time they go back to the wall, right? He's putting the plan in place. That the half of my servant, servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the haberjons. That's a, that's a coat of armor. And the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. And they which built it on the wall, and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, every one. 
of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. For the builders, every one had his sword girded by his side, and so builded. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. And I said unto the nobles, and to the rulers, and to the rest of the people, The work is great and large, and we are separated upon the wall, one far from another. In what place, therefore, ye hear the sound of the trumpet, resort ye thither unto us, our God shall fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of them held the spears from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. Likewise, at the same time, said I unto the people, Let every one with his servant lodge within Jerusalem, that in the night they may be, guard, may be a guard to us and labor on the day. So neither I nor my brethren nor my servants nor the men of the guard which followed me, none of us put off our clothes, saving that every one put them off for washing. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask you to teach us this morning, Lord. We ask you to, to use this passage in our life um, in the way that each and every one of us need it. Lord, we're all at different places in our spiritual walk. We're all um, just in, in, in different stages of life and dealing with different things. And, and Lord, uh, the spiritual warfare that we deal with is, is usually specific. And, and so, Lord, um, I pray that you meet each and every one of us um, where our specific needs are at. Lord, I, I, just, I just pray that, that your Holy Spirit has free reign in our lives, that we're willing to break down the walls to see um, if our priorities are in line with yours. And Lord, if they're not, I pray that, that your Spirit convicts us uh, to change that and to get that right with you. Lord, I, I pray that everything that is said is true to your word. And I pray that it is glorifying and it is honoring to you. And we ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So this is a, this is a fun passage. Um, it has some really, really great verses in it. Uh, but, but like I've already told you, how I, how I want to focus this sermon and what I want to show you are three priorities that, that Nehemiah emphasizes as he outlines this plan and this strategy for building and battling. And, you know, I, I want to start by just uh, by showing you, I just want you to notice how Nehemiah was in charge. I mean, he was the leader. There was no doubt about it. And he was right in the middle of everything. You know, it's interesting, and there are pictures in all this. It's interesting. We looked at Nehemiah chapter 3 and, and, and those gates and all the list of builders, and there was, there was one name that was never mentioned, and that, that was Nehemiah himself. There is a Nehemiah mentioned in chapter 3, but it wasn't Nehemiah. And, and there are great reasons for that. And as a servant leader, Nehemiah was behind the scenes helping support everybody else. But make no mistake about it. Nehemiah is right in the middle of all of it. And you really see it here in this passage. And he says, my servants and we, and we didn't put off our clothes and all these things. And he's leading the Jews as a good shepherd should. And he's leading them by focusing their attention on what was important. He was that voice of assurance to say, listen, the Lord's going to fight for us if we do it his way. And he, and he, he, he focuses their attention on how to prioritize in this difficult situ situation that they're in. And, and the first priority that he, he shows and the first priority that we see, the first lesson we get from this passage, is to prioritize your aim. Prioritize your aim. Now, before we get too far into all of this, I, I, I just want to say that I believe that what we're going to hear this morning, this sermon today, is going to be the most practical message of this entire series. 
It is simple. It is to the point. Now, not everyone is going to like it, but I think it will help you if you hear it. And even though it's super simple, you're going to have to stick with me and follow where I'm going on a couple of these points, and this is one of them. So when I say prioritize the aim, I'm talking about not losing sight of what it is that you are actually trying to accomplish, your goal. And what you are trying to accomplish is to build something through him, through the Lord. It's what we've been talking about, building your life, your family, your home, this church, all to God's glory and all through his power and not our own. And that includes building the protection and the security that comes from God's word and doing things God's way. And sometimes when you are building while you are battling, it gets easy to lose sight of what should be the priority. And that's part of Satan's overall plan. We're going to talk about it as we get into it more. But when you're trying to balance all this and you're facing attacks and spiritual warfare, sometimes it's easy to get focused on the battling side more than the building side. But the goal is to build. We can't lose sight of that. And again, both are necessary. Both have to be done. We're seeing that very clearly in this chapter. You can't act like the opposition isn't there and just say, oh, well, you know, they're not going to hurt me. No, they will. Their intentions are clear. So you can't ignore it. You can't exactly act like nothing's happening. You have to put a plan together. You have to battle. But you can't do it to the exclusion of building. So make no mistake. Make no mistake about it the aim is to build and I want you to see how this plays out in our passage because because what you're going to see is that the plan that Nehemiah outlines is not put in place to defeat the enemy that's that's not what the plan is about the plan is put in place so that the work continues look back at verse 16 and it came to pass from that time forth after they returned to the wall that the half of my servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both the spears and the shields, the bows and the habergons, and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. They which built it on the wall, they that bear burdens with those that laid it, every one, every with, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. For the builders, every one had his sword girded by his side, and so builded. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. You see, everything Nehemiah was putting in place was about building. And, and, and with respect to the battling side, it was all defensive. It centered around what they needed to do so that the work didn't stop. And the plan was to divide up the people, assign some as guards, And then arm the workers as well, those that were building on the wall and those that were carrying the supplies and the rubbish, or as the Bible says, those that bear burdens. We saw that last week. That was Judah, and they were discouraged by that because that was hard work. It was heavy work. And it's cool to see here that they're back after it with everyone else. They applied Proverbs 24, 16, and they were back on their post. 
But Nehemiah's plan had, all, had, had people watching while others were working. He had set a watch so that the work would continue. And, and to prove this just a little bit further, I want you to consider some of the things Nehemiah didn't include in his plan. First of all, his plan didn't include the work stopping and just going and hiding from the enemy. That wasn't an option. And as we've talked about at length, that's not an option for us either. I mean, at the moment of salvation, we are listed into God's spiritual army, so to speak. And we're commanded in verses like 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4, to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So that's clear. Now the other thing Nehemiah's plan didn't include, and this is the most important, it did not include stopping work and leaving the wall so that they could go kick the enemy's tail ends. It didn't include that. And listen, that's more fun than building sometimes. But that's not the aim. That's not your overall goal. And sometimes we get so caught up in the fight that it turns out that's all we're actually doing. We're battling like heck, but we're not building. And again, I, they obviously go hand in hand. We, we've mentioned this over and over. If you're building something for the Lord, you're going to face opposition. But you must learn how to battle while you are building, not to the exclusion of building. And listen, I understand very clearly that we must be against things. We must contend for the faith. We must expose and reprove apostasy. The Bible tells us to do all of those things. But don't get it twisted. Our main objective, our aim, is to build the kingdom of God and to preach the gospel to those who need it and then disciple those who accept it. Your main objective as a parent is to win your kids to the Lord and show them the example of what a godly man or woman looks like so that they have something to model. And you can read the Bible however you want to justify the way you want to live. But if you're always fighting and you're always contentious, even if it is quote-unquote for the Lord, then can I tell you in love that you are ignoring way more verses than you are applying. Because for every Jude 1.3 that tells us to contend for the faith, there are so many other verses, like 2 Samuel twenty-two thirty-six, 36, it says, Thou hast given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy gentleness hath made me great. Matthew eleven twenty-nine 29 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I, Jesus, am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, important verses Regarding the fruit of the Spirit, let's look at what, what that fruit is. What are the, what's the characteristic of someone walking in the Spirit? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Study those words. 
Against such there's no law. Ephesians 4, verses 2 and 3 says, With all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians 4, verses 31 and 32 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Those two verses would solve every marital problem we have in this church, every relationship problem we have in this world. We just choose not to apply them. Colossians 3, verses 12 and 13 says, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, longsuffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. It's a command. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 and 25 says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach patience, in, me patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. James 1, verses 19 and 20 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. James 3.17 says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. 1 Peter 3.8 says, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. And I know that that's a lot of verses, but that was my point. And it barely scratches the surface, by the way. So don't, or at least you shouldn't, Pick a few verses here and there to justify living and serving the Lord the way you want to in your flesh. So let me say this, and I want to be very clear about it. Unless you are fighting and battling to protect something the Lord has built or is building, then you're doing it for the wrong reason. Because take those guards, so to speak, and here in Nehemiah. That Nehemiah set up as a watch party. They weren't actively working on the wall. Their job was to watch for the enemy. But that's the point. They weren't out attacking. They were just watching and protecting what was being built, what the Lord was doing through Nehemiah and all those workers. Because the objective, the aim, was to build and not battle. If they could avoid battle, they were all for it because it allowed them more time to build. So even the guards' purpose related to building. You see, I think one of the main goals of our enemy in spiritual attack against us, at least in this dispensation and in this country and in our specific context, it isn't to just outright defeat us. You know, sometimes if he would just come through and he's, he's wiping people off the map, you know what, that actually res it, 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 it creates a resolve in people in the body of Christ. When there's outright, you know, what you've seen throughout church history, when people were being killed, and man, there was a resolve that, that, that Christians, you know, rose up. You know, what he does with us, and certainly in, in this country and, and in today's age, 
It's not to just outright defeat us. He just, all he needs to do is distract us and to get us off target. And I think he's doing a real good job of it, especially as we near his appearing. And we just have to be so careful with this. And, and listen, there's no, there's no secret to what's going on in our day and age. If, if you're a Christian tuned into anything, you know that, that, that we're in perilous times. And the Bible said in the last days, perilous times shall come. And, and we're seeing attacks as, as, a church on, as, as a church body on different fronts. And there are distractions and battles with COVID and everything surrounding it that's been going on for the past year and a half. So let me make this as, as, as just as practical as I can, as I know how. And I want to even open up a little bit and tell you about me personally and, and let you know how Nehemiah chapter 4 and how this, how this point applies to me. And you take it for what you will. But this is just one example of how God uses his word in my life. And I know that there are people that would say I shouldn't do what I'm about to do. Um, but whatever, I don't, I don't feel like I have anything to hide with you guys. And I hope you know my heart in it. But, but here's who I am. I'm conservative. I'm conservative politically, socially, theologically, pretty much any way you slice it. I'm pro-small government. I appreciate and believe strongly in the freedoms we're afforded under the Constitution of the United States. I'm not necessarily anti-vaccine, but I am certainly anti-mandates. That goes back to my previous statement. I fully appreciate... If you want to wear a mask and, and, and believe that that's beneficial, beneficial, that's great. I don't believe that's how God calls me to love my neighbor. I believe that God calls me to love my, my neighbor by walking in the Spirit and investing God's Word into them as He opens the door. Amen. And all those statements get to who I am and what I believe. But, but here's the thing. I'm not fighting against any of those things right now. And I don't intend to start. And if you think differently about that stuff than I do, that's okay. Truly, I love you. And I have no interest in fighting you about it. And that's why you have never and will never see me post about anything politically on, on Facebook or your favorite social media platform. Because that doesn't build. How many people have you won to the Lord because of your pro or anti-vaccine post and the subsequent fight you got into with all the commenters. I want to be about building. And I don't always get it right. I will be the first to admit. That is for sure. But building is my aim. Building the kingdom of God, not battling for the kingdoms of this world. I'm not trying to bring in the kingdom here. And if you are in love, can I tell you that you're a heretic? And that you don't know your Bible? And that does not mean that I'm burying my head in the sand. And I don't care about those things. I do immensely, in fact. But do you know what my response is to all of it? I've just set a watch. I'm paying attention. And if at any point the attack ramps up to try to tear down what we are building for the Lord, then I'll fight. If the government tells us that we can't share the gospel, or we can't assemble, or we can't preach the Bible, well, we'll, protect, we'll protect what we're building. 
But until that day comes, I'm going to focus on the work. And my loving pastoral advice is you should too. So don't get distracted. Prioritize the aim. And in order to do that, you need to be like the men that Nehemiah described in verse 17. He said, they which build it on the wall and they that bear burdens with those that laid it or, or worked. Everyone with one of his hands wrought in the work and with the other hand held a weapon. That's a good verse right there, man. That is a good verse. And this shows you the exact type of person we should be so that we can prioritize the aim of building and do a work to God's glory. That is a person who has one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand, you're holding a weapon. That's the sword and the trowel. That's, a, a, you know, it's, it's on our sign, on our Nehemiah logo. There's a sword and there's a little shovel. And that was the name of, the sword and the trowel was the name of, of Charles Spurgeon's new, newspaper that he put out. And that's where he got this title, Nehemiah 4.17. This is someone who's perfectly balanced in priorities and they understand the work and they understand the word. Because the sword is a picture of the word of God. Ephesians 6, 17 and 18. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You see, the Bible's not always that hard to understand. You just got to go ahead and read it, and you got to spend a little bit of time in it. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching whereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. We also see it in Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow and is discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's a powerful book. Psalm 149, verses 5, and says, like, 5 and 6 says, let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. And this is a good cross-reference to, to Nehemiah 4.17. Verse 6 says, let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Do you know God's word for yourself so that you can invest it into the life of another person? You know what? Sometimes in, in, if you're just focused on battling the things of this world, it doesn't require you to, or you, or you don't use it as an opportunity to invest in God's word so that you know how to prioritize it your life. So you know what to invest in other people. So you know how to have those conversations when they come up. And so you, so you know how to handle the attacks of the enemy. Ministry and the word of God go hand in hand, literally according to Nehemiah 4.17. The work in one hand, the word of God in the other. And that brings us to our second priority, the next lesson we get to in this passage, and that is to prioritize your assembling. Prioritize your assembling. Look at verse 18. I told you this is practical, but not everybody's going to like it. You just got to stick with me. Stick with me. It's, all, it's for all of our own good. Verse 18, for the builders, everyone had his sword girded by his side, and so builded. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. And I said unto the nobles, and to the rulers, and to the rest of the people, the work is great and large, and we're separated upon the wall, one far from another. In what place therefore ye hear the sound of the trumpet? Resort ye thither unto us, our God shall fight for us. 
So this is the next part of Nehemiah's plan. And, and, and this part was to establish the trumpet call. And the trumpet was a call to, a gather, to gather or assemble. And, and this would happen if they were being attacked. If there was a full-on attack on the wall, this is what would happen. Because if they were getting attacked directly, the, the work would need to stop for a short time. And, and, and they would have to address it. Like I mentioned a minute ago, if we have to fight, we fight. But until then, we work. So this plan called for Nehemiah to have his guy blow the trumpet. And everyone would come off their post and assemble together in order to prepare for the battle. And this was a key part of the plan. Everyone needed to be working and, 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 and watching with an ear toward the trumpet call. They need to be listening for the trumpet. And the trumpet throughout the Bible is associated with, with a couple different things. It's associated with a gathering or a call to assembly. We, we've already mentioned that. And it is associated with God's voice. So, for example, you can see this throughout Scripture, but let me just give you a couple of references. Numbers 10, verse 4 says, And if they blow but with one trumpet, then the princes, which are heads of the thousands of Israel, shall gather themselves unto thee. Right? That's the call to gather. It's the same thing we see here in Nehemiah chapter 4. When the trumpet was call went out, the people were to gather to Nehemiah. They were to come to him and assemble. Revelation 1, verses 10 and 11 says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And he goes on. And that's obviously the Lord. I'm Alpha and Omega. And this voice that John heard sounded like a trumpet was the voice of the Lord. So, so the trumpet throughout Scripture has these two these, these is, is associated with these two things, a call to assemble and the voice of God. And this has two applications for us. First, there's the application of the local church. As we are called to assemble every week, he, Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25 says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Colon, how do you do that? How do you consider one another and, and not provoke and, and, and provoke unto love and to good works? Here's how you do it. By not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. As the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. I think that describes our time. And, and that is a time when we assemble together here where we come off the wall and we gather together in preparation for the battle. You see, during the week, we're all separated and far from one another, like Nehemiah recognized in verse 19. Right? He, he said in verse 19, I said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, the work is great and large, and we're separated upon the wall, one far from another. So he, he recognized the danger in that, 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 that over, you know, that, that after a certain amount of time, you've been apart for too long. And the, the, how, how you communicate and how you prepare the battle needs to, needs to go down a certain way. And there's a time that we need to come off the wall. You know, there's a battle going on outside those doors. But when we come in here, it's our time to prepare. It's our time to prepare. And that's what makes Sunday so important as God word, God's word is trumpeted 
from this pulpit and from all these rooms surrounding us. And there's such a great benefit from that in learning God's word and fellowship with each other and in the encouragement we see through the corporate worship of our Savior. So listen, I, I know you guys are here. <laughs> so praise the Lord. So in that sense, I'm preaching to the choir. But, but there's people watching, there's people listening. And so again, in love, can I tell you that if being a part of church and attending church isn't a priority for you, then you're missing out on one of the things God set up for you to be successful in this Christian walk. I mean, it's just necessary. You just can't get around it. The world's tough enough to get through on your own. You need what the Lord provides in this room every week. And I promise you that I'm not talking about me. This isn't about me. This is about him. You need what only he provides. I mean that. But man, what he is able to provide through all of us being together is incredible. And if you don't feel that way, I hate that for you. Oh, man, I so wish you received what I receive every week from you guys and from us together. And, and, and just to be, you know, transparent again here for a morning, for, for, a, for a moment here this morning. You know, we have good attendance. I mean, we have, this is a, a decent crowd. But I don't understand why we don't have more. Blows my mind why more people aren't here. And it's probably because I'm not very good at what I do, but I know that God can overcome my shortcomings. <laughs> so look to him, don't look to me. And listen, this has nothing to do with numbers. I don't care a thing about that. I've told you before, I'm not trying to build a big church. I know that I can't. I know it's God's job to build a church anyway, not mine. But here's why I say it. And here's why it, it, it's important to me. Because I care about you. I care about our members getting from the Lord what they need. And I know that you can't get it if you're not here. You need to prioritize our assembling. I understand the importance of this priority. But then, for those of you who are here all the time, and, and that's most of you, and I praise the Lord for you, thank you. But, but I have a question for you too. Because the trumpet has a couple different applications, right? A call to assemble, and, and, and it's God's voice. So for those of you that are here, are you taking what you're hearing from the Lord and treating it as such? As treating it as a word from the Lord to you and applying it in your life? So maybe you're answering the trumpet call for assembly, but from where you're here, are you listening to his voice? When you spend time with him during the week, are you listening to his voice? And are you obeying what you hear? Listen, Nehemiah 4.20 says that that is what guarantees that the Lord will, will fight for you. But it's only when you're answering the call of the trumpet. But there's another application at this point. The first one was for the local church. There's a second application that, that, that revolves around the universal church, you know, the entire body of Christ all across this world throughout time. Because today, believers are spread far and wide throughout all the world. And we're not together now. But one day we will be. And that day will be initiated through a trumpet call 
1 Corinthians 15, 52 says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And that last trump, that gathering of all the saints together in the sky, will be at the rapture of the church. And 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18, tells us of that day, says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain of the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds in that assembly to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord, wherefore comfort one another with these words. You see, there should be comfort from that trumpet call to where as the body of Christ is once and for all called together to meet with him. Just like you should get comfort when you show up here every Sunday. And just to continue to show the consistency of the Bible, look at what Revelation 4 1 says. Speaking of the same event, after this I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show you the I will show thee things which must be hereafter. So let me ask you, are you building and battling all with an ear that is just waiting on that trumpet call? Waiting to be called home with all the other saints who have ever lived. The Apostle Paul, you name them. There's no doubt that should be a priority for us. And we talked about it when we went through those gates. Living life in light of his return and the impending judgment seat of Christ that comes with it. I hope you understand the significance of that. And if you do. If you do understand the significance of the rapture, which I, which I don't believe is a tough sell, right? If you're a Christian, the day we meet the Lord face to face, that's pretty, pretty important. You know, if you're, if, you're, if you're setting a calendar of things, that's a pretty big one. You know, it ought to make the list, you know, that's a holiday. So it's a big deal. Okay, well, if you understand the significance of that, then you should make the connection to our assembling here in the local context. And, and put the same level of significance on that because that's how God feels about it. You see, there are so many things like that where something in the local church is just a picture of something much larger in the universal church. So take, for example, water baptism. Right, Water baptism, when we, when we open those curtains up and we baptize someone in th those baptismal waters, that is just a picture of a person being baptized into the universal body, the, that spirit baptism in Christ. It's just a picture. When we partake in the Lord's Supper together a, a handful of times a year, that is just a foretaste of the heavenly banquet we will get to experience with him one day. And when we are all come and assemble together on Sunday and we sing praise 
and we hear from his word, we hear his voice, is just a picture of that day when we are all called together to meet him in the air. It should be that important to you. Please understand the priority of that trumpet call. It's a big deal to the Lord, and therefore, it should be a big deal to you. But there's one more thing that should be a big deal to you as well, because there's one more part of Nehemiah's plan that we see here. That's our third priority, the third lesson we see in Nehemiah's plan, and that's to prioritize your attire. Prioritize your attire. Look at verse 21. So we labored in the work, and half of them held the spears from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. So dusk to dawn, man. That, that's when they worked. Likewise, at the same time, said I unto the people, let everyone with a servant lodge within Jerusalem, so that in the night they may be a guard to us. So we're working in the night. And listen, this church age is the nighttime. We're coming up to midnight. And, and so they... they they was a guard to us and the labor on the day. So neither I nor my brethren nor my servants nor the men of the guard which followed me, none of us put off our clothes, saving that everyone put them off for washing. Now, this is like every week. There is a bunch of stuff in these verses that we, that we really just don't have time to get to and discuss. I mean, I mean, we could, but you'd get bored and this series would take like four years. And I know... I know Mark used to take time getting through stuff back in the day, but he was a good preacher. I ain't got skills like that. I can't keep you interested that long. So here, Nehemiah still had the teams divided up. And he told those that were coming in from outside of the town, that were coming in to help with the work, that they just needed to stay. I mean, first of all, there's a practical aspect. There was danger for them leaving and going back uh, to their work, but... What he says here is, is they were of use inside the city, both day and night. And it just gets to the commitment that they had to the work, as does verse 23, where I want to focus our attention. They were so committed to this building project that they kept their work, their, their work clothes on all the time, except when they cleaned them. All right? I'm sure their, their wall-working neighbor appreciated that, that they took time to clean them. And, and that's funny, and it is funny a little bit, but your Christian neighbor will appreciate it if you take time to cleanse yourself spiritually. We'll get there in a second. But they did this so that they'd be ready for anything. They'd be ready for an attack. They'd be ready to do some work if, if there was need for something along the wall. Maybe an emergency popped up in the middle of the night. They're ready to go. All the time. They stayed ready. And there's just a great illustration in that for us. A New Testament principle that the Apostle Paul talks about in several places that involves putting on Christ and living life with Christ as our attire. Romans 13, 14 says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. You know, in, back in um, Nehemiah 4.23, there's, there's some specific wording that he uses that they weren't, you know, put off their clothes. And, and what we see Paul talks about is this putting on and putting off aspect. So in Ephesians 4, verses 22 and 24 says that ye put off, 
concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. That's, that's Christ. Colossians 3, verses 8 through 10, but now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And the principle here is that we need to stay clothed in Christ with the robes of his righteousness. Because when we are clothed in him, we are ready for anything. You see, he is in us and we are in him. And the reason why we can work so hard and have a mind to work when necessary has nothing to do with how hard we are trying. It's not because we are so powerful or have great abilities. It's because we understand that he is our strength. Now, he does all things in and through us. And we're only successful as we link our yoke to his, as we saw last week in Matthew chapter 11. You see, we're, we're, this whole series is about building, building for the future. That's all we're talking about in this series. But the truth is, as we saw last week in Psalm 127, he is the one that has to actually do the building. We just have to allow him to work through us. As we are clothed in him, as we are covered with him as our attire, that is where we find the strength to do the things that we look at in this life and say, that's impossible. There's no way. It's never going to change. I can't do it. I can't do it. Well, you know what? The truth is you can't if you're trying to do it on your own. And if you're trying to do it in your willpower, if you're trying to do it in your flesh, it is impossible. But through him, all things are possible. But you have to be clothed in him. You have to be clothed in Christ. And that happens for us spiritually at our salvation as we are sealed and covered with the Spirit of God. We've talked about that in the past. That gets to our standing with the Lord. How, when God looks at us, even in the midst of sometimes our sinful life, he can see us as perfect and holy because he sees Christ. So we're standing before the Lord. We're sealed, covered by the Spirit of God, and that's what he sees. And we're clean and perfect and holy before him, but there's also a practical side to this that gets to our state. So many of you know this, the difference between our standing and our state. Our state is our day-to-day -day fellowship with the Lord. And that practical application happens as you clean yourself every day through the washing of God's Word. And like I said, that was the only exception to when the workers on the wall took their clothes off. When they got away on their own to cleanse themselves. And we've, we're not going to take the time. We've looked at 2 Corinthians 7.1, Ephesians 5.26 over the, the past weeks. But that is an absolute necessary step in the Christian walk if you ever want to even remotely glorify the Lord with your life. It's a daily time of cleansing. I mean, right? There, I, I get it in, in, in real, you know, in life. 
you know, maybe you go a day, you know, life got busy, something happened, you didn't take a shower. But the general rule is you clean yourself every day, right? Why would it spiritually be anything different? Get with God every single day and allow the, the washing of the water of his word to clean you. And when you do it, and when you take that practical step, the attire that you put on is actually armor. It's the armor of God described in Ephesians chapter 6. So we put on Christ, and there's a spiritual application to that, that we're just sealed and covered by him and we put off the old man and he is the new man but there's a practical application that as we spend every day washing and cleansing ourselves according to God's word that the, the armor that we're putting the clothes that we're putting back on is armor and the armor is what protects you and listen to this enables you to continue to build while you're in the midst of the battle Ephesians 4.11 says, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And do you, do you see how that's worded? What is that armor for? That ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. It's possible. It's possible. But you have to have his armor. You have to be clothed in Christ. First of all, spiritually, you have to be saved. And then after you're saved, you need to take, do that daily cleansing and put on the armor of God. And then you're now prepared for anything. You're even prepared for an emergency attack. You know, sometimes the, the devil comes out and he, he hits you when you don't expect it. And you say, wait a second, I haven't been with the Lord for a few days. I'm not ready for you now. No, stay ready. Stay ready. Keep the armor on so that you're always ready. So have you prioritized this attire or are you walking around this world spiritually naked? It's nothing personal. It's not a good look. <laughs> Just do that before the Lord. Open yourself up fully to him and so that we don't have to see all that mess. And yeah, again, there's, listen, if you get it, there's some good spiritual truth in that. David understood this, Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Listen, God knows all of it. But there's something as part of that cleansing process daily to opening ourselves up to him, allowing him to search us and try us. But not only that, asking him to do it. And again, you do that by using this book as your only standard, as your cleaning agent for your attire. Don't use anything else. It won't work. The world can't tell you when and if you're clean. And they certainly do not have the tools to make you clean, contrary to their claims. No, spend time in the book. And when something isn't right, clean it. Change it. Don't blame anyone else. Don't look for a scapegoat. Don't look for an excuse. Be honest. Do the work to change. That's the solution. It's how you cleanse yourself for practical, everyday life building on the wall. And that's really the answer. It's the only one. It's the only way. It's simple. Now, like I say a lot, it's not necessarily easy, but it's simple. You just have to be willing to let the truth of God's word be the truth in your life. And don't compromise on that. Because if you compromise on that, you'll compromise on everything else. You'll compromise on your priorities. And you won't build.
Prioritize your attire. Prioritize your time with the Lord, making sure you're ready for the battle and ready to build. And when you do that, it's going to be much easier to prioritize your assembling. That's going to come naturally, and you're going to want to be a part of what all is going on here. And it'll be much easier to prioritize your aim, too. You'll understand what's important and what's not, what builds and what doesn't. So let's get back to the wall and do the things that build, all for his glory. Let's have every head bow and every eye closed. And as we bring this service to an end, I, you know, I just want you to analyze that. I want you to analyze your priorities. Are you prioritizing the right things, or have you got off course somewhere along the way? And if you're off course, will you get back on? Will you prioritize your aim, your assembling, and your attire all to his glory? Will you commit to being a part of what God is doing here? Get involved and, and get on the wall with us. Or maybe you're, maybe you're not even in the city. Maybe you don't know Jesus as your Savior. If not, I want you to know that he came down to this earth. He was, you know, he was born, not December 25th, but he was born at Christmas. <laughs> and, and he was born to die. He was born to die for you and me. To take our sins so that when we place our faith in him, God could look at us and see him, see Christ. Man, what a great blessing that is. What, how awesome that is. And if you've never accepted that, why don't you do that today? Why don't you accept Jesus as your Savior today? Use this last worship song to meet him. And if you have questions about that, come forward and talk to me. A number of us will be around. We would love to talk to you about how you can meet Jesus today.